good morning, church family. I'll invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 1. In a moment, we will stand and read verses 16 through 20 as we focus on Jesus calling his first disciples here from Mark's account. As you find your place and get your notes uh, ready and get yourself settled, I want to remind you that this Wednesday night, uh, we will have our last summer fellowship together uh, as we will have a, a barbecue and picnic time outside here. Uh, starting at 6.15, we're inviting you to bring side dishes and desserts. The church is providing uh, the barbecue. We're going to do a, a preview of what's going to be happening starting the following Wednesday night with Equip. We're going to talk about preschool children, students, and adult Equip uh, that starts in a couple of weeks. And so we'll briefly preview that and then spend some time uh, together. We've had a great summer of fellowshipping together on most of our summer Wednesday nights. Now, if you missed skating last week, I'm going to tell you something. You missed a show. Even the preacher put some skates on, Okay. Uh, we had a great time up in Smithfield. Uh, lots and lots of families came, and so we were uh, we had a great time. So, looking forward to our last fellowship this uh, of this summer, this coming Wednesday night, and looking forward to previewing Equip uh, together. And so, I invite you to stand with me now as we turn our attention to the Word of the Lord here in Mark chapter one. As we continue in our series, uh, just a brief section this morning that we'll consider, starting in verse sixteen. Mark writes, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the gathered body of believers in this place that we take time to worship you, to read your word, to pray together, to encourage one another. Thank you, Father, that where two or three are gathered, you are with us. Father, we pray as we turn our attention to your word that we would understand the authoritative call of Jesus towards all of his people to follow him. And that as we follow him, it radically changes our lives the trajectory of our life and the mission of our life as you make us into fishers of men. Convict us by the power of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As most of you are likely aware, several months ago, when Pastor Michael moved to Tennessee to begin pastoring a church in Johnson City, the uh, we began a search as a congregation for a, a new pastor to oversee the next-gen ministries of our church. It's everything 18 and under in our church. We're still hard at work in that search. I invite you to continue to pray for our advisory panel and our elders as we make some important decisions in the coming days and weeks ahead before we would present a candidate to you. But I want to use this as an illustration, an opening illustration for our sermon this morning. Anytime we go to 
hire a new pastor for our congregation and not just this is not just a church congregation thing. This is likely something business owners here would do. It's likely something that you've experienced. And when we begin to look for a new person to fill a job that we're going to pay them to do, typically the first thing we do is write a job description. It would be foolish to go find someone to do a job before you know what job it is you want them to do. And so as we developed this current job description, we looked on the landscape of our church and recognized that we have need for a pastor to give attention to student ministry and children's ministry and preschool ministry, these vibrant ministries of our church uh, to help lead those, uh, those ministries, to equip parents, to disciple their children as the primary disciple makers, to help the church as we come alongside of them, to have a pipeline for people to serve within these ministries. We developed this job description and now we're looking for people to fill it. As Jesus has now announced the mission of his ministry in verse 15, the message of his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Repent and believe in the gospel. We saw last week, now Jesus is going to go and find those who he is going to task with the mission. And here we will see in these verses the calling of these first disciples at the outset of his ministry. In many ways, this sermon is a fundamental sermon to the gospel of Mark, to this series that we will undertake over the next several months, as well as fundamental to the very life of our church. Let's think about how it's fundamental just quickly to the, to the gospel of Mark. Mark, as we will see in greater detail next Sunday, focuses heavily, particularly in the first several chapters, on the authority of Jesus as the Messiah. And this is the first picture that we see of Jesus' authority, that he has the authority to call disciples. Now, I'm not going to preach on that authority today because we're going to see it in more detail next week and even some in the week following that. But it's important to recognize here with the calling of these first disciples that what Jesus does, what Mark records for us, is exactly opposite of what other Jewish teachers, known as rabbis, would have done in that day. Rabbis did not call disciples. Rabbis built credibility, built authority, if you will, and then disciples sought them out. So as a, as a first century rabbi, as someone who wants to build a following, which by the way was fairly popular in Jesus's day, that a rabbi wanted to gain a following, he would establish a home base of teaching, a teaching ministry. He would teach hopefully to where his popularity would grow and people would come from all over to follow him. Now we will see people coming from all over to follow Jesus. That Jesus doesn't really change the way Jewish culture worked in the first century. Most of the people that follow Jesus are going to do so in the traditional sense. They're going to hear of the teachings of Jesus, they're gonna hear of the miracles of Jesus, and they're going to seek him out to come and follow him. Crowds will do so, so much so that Jesus is gonna have to, as we progress in Mark, gonna have to find places of escape from the crowds. But not with these first disciples. 
with these first disciples, Jesus goes and seeks them out and says, come and follow me. He doesn't build his credibility first. He rests on his authority as Mark has already established as the son of God to go to people and say, I have a mission for you. And it is that very thing the authority of Jesus to look not only at his disciples, but to look at his church and say, I have, an, I have a mission for you that makes this sermon fundamental to who we are as a congregation. Because this sermon speaks directly to our mission as a church, to the mission of God's church, to the mission of God's people. Now, different churches say this differently. We try to say it as simply as possible. And so we say our mission as Nansman River Baptist Church is to make disciples that make disciples, that this is what we do, that everything that we do here is about helping people follow Jesus, whether they do not currently follow Jesus, and so we proclaim the gospel to them so that they will then believe and follow Jesus, or they do follow Jesus, and we would work together to help one another become better followers of Jesus, that we make disciples that make disciples. At the end of our service, we're going to respond together through a ministry fair. If you just showed up this morning and didn't know that was happening, it's something we do about once a year here, uh, particularly around this time of year as we're starting into a new, a new school year, a new kind of ministry year, but also as it makes sense within the text, and it certainly makes sense within this text, for us to think about the ministries of our church. We have dozens and dozens of tables set up all over our church. I'm going to give you instructions at the end, but let me say this about every table that you'll go to. Every table that you could go to and find out about ministry in our church at its core is about making disciples. There's not a single ministry in this church that is not about making disciples, that is all contributing to the mission because everything we do here is because we believe Jesus has said to his church, make disciples because he has the authority to do so. Our main idea of the sermon this morning is that Jesus calls all of his followers to the mission of making disciples. Jesus, who has the authority to do so, has called you and I and our church, his followers, to this simple mission. Make disciples. This encounter happens along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been privileged twice over the last several years to take many of you to the Sea of Galilee. It's a striking moment that first day that you awake because we get to Israel in the evening and you awake in the morning on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and nearly everyone that goes says the same thing. First, it's beautiful because it is and second, I expected it to be bigger because when we hear sea, we think sea. It's really a lake. At its widest spot, the Sea of Galilee is 12 miles wide and seven miles long. On clear days, you can see all the shores from wherever you stand on its shore. It's not really that large. It is, however, extremely deep. And it was known in the first century as a major hub of fishing. At least 16 major fishing villages existed along the coastline of the Sea of Galilee. On any given day, hundreds upon hundreds, possibly thousands of fishing boats were working the lake, pulling the fish 
from the lake, but not just to feed people in the surrounding areas. The Sea of Galilee was known as a, as a primary supplier or one of the primary suppliers of fish uh, throughout Israel, but as far away as Egypt and Syria, it competed within the Mediterranean market for its prized fish. You see, fish was the primary meat source of the Roman Empire, which made the work competitive. And many Galilean fishermen would also be seen as successful businessmen. We oftentimes speak about the men that Jesus called to be his disciples as kind of lowly fishermen. That's not probably the best way to look at them. For them to survive in the, in the Galilean fishing market, these would have been shrewd fishermen. Now, this is still very much blue-collar work, but most Galilean fishermen, for instance, also spoke Greek because it was the trade language of the day. Do you think that's going to be important when it comes time for these men to write New Testament books and letters? Absolutely, it would. So Jesus is calling respected, although, yes, still blue-collar, fairly, from an academic standpoint, likely not highly educated but wise in the ways of the world, some would even say shrewd businessmen to his side to accomplish his mission. So let's begin in verses 16 and 17 where we see this, that all disciples are called to follow Jesus. We're given the scene, which we've already set up, that Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee. He's likely passing along uh, the, the western, southwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And so the first thing that we see here is, is Jesus is going to encounter Simon, who we know is Peter. Now, I introduced last week that the gospel of Mark is likely the stories of Peter preaching in Rome that Mark would have then written either towards the end of Peter's life or after Peter's martyrdom there in Rome. And so this the story begins with the calling of Peter and his brother, Andrew, who were fishermen. And they were casting their net into the sea. And the first instruction that Jesus gives to them is to follow me. Disciples follow Jesus because Jesus invites them to a mission. Because Jesus calls them to do so. Jesus changes the nature of who they are. This encounter that, that these two men, and in a moment we're going to see two additional men in total in this story, four men that these four fishermen have with Jesus on this day, changes everything about them. Jesus is going to call them to something far greater than they had ever known. Jesus is going to call them to something beyond themselves. He's going to change who they are to their very core because this is what the gospel does. When we, as we've seen the invitation of Jesus in the previous verses, repent and believe the gospel, it changes us to the core of who we are. Now, I want to use two additional passages, one in 2 Corinthians and uh, one in Mark chapter 8. They're going to help us see this progression of disciple from following me to making disciples. So let's first look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul is writing about first the new self. 
what happens when we repent and believe the gospel. And he says this, he says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let me make something abundantly clear for us. As we look at this narrative text in, in Mark about these disciples, these fishermen here, woke up that morning going out casting their nets as they had done probably since childhood and expected to do for the rest of their life. They have this, this monumentous encounter, this, this life-changing encounter with Jesus who says, come and follow me. This is the invitation. The invitation offered to us is still to follow Jesus. But when we follow Jesus, it begins, as, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, with an entire change of the heart. The old passes away. Behold, the new has come. There is a direct tie between salvation and discipleship. To be saved is to follow Jesus, and to follow Jesus is to be saved. These are inseparable ideas that when we follow after Christ, we do so because he has made us a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So therefore, we follow the one who made us new. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus writes about this saying, and we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians 5 if you want to leave something right there. But we're going to look at Mark 8. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus writes about this call to follow him. And he says, and as the crowd, and he says, in calling the crowd to, to him with his disciples, he said to them, remember, all of these people now come out to Jesus. This isn't just those that he found on a fishing boat. This is now crowds pressing in on him. And he says this to them. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is no following Jesus without following the invitation of Jesus to deny yourself, take up your cross, and actually follow him. This idea that, that people can somehow be saved from their sins and yet not follow Jesus is not a biblical idea. The, the, the picture that we have of every follower of Jesus, of everyone who is made new in Christ is that they turn away from sin and self and turn towards the one who makes them new. The invitation to follow Jesus in Mark chapter one necessarily follows the invitation to repent and believe in the gospel in the previous section. If you have repented and believed in the gospel, then you are called, demanded to follow Jesus. And by the way, 
If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but have never repented and believed in the gospel, it is not the biblical Jesus that you're following. You may be following ideals, you may be following a selection of teachings, but it must begin with repentance and belief in what Jesus has done for you, that he can make you new. And when he makes you new, he calls you to die to self, take up your cross and follow him All disciples are called to follow Jesus. So this is the first invitation that Jesus gives. After saying, repent and believe the gospel, the message of his ministry, he then says, follow me. Number two, all disciples are called to be a part of the mission. Verse 17 continues, and I will make you become fishers of men. There's several unique phrases here in this latter part of this sentence that are important for our understanding of what Jesus is inviting uh, Simon and Andrew to, and by extension, what he is inviting his church to. First, he says, I will make you. Jesus is the one who changes you. Jesus is the one who gives you a new heart. Jesus is the one who makes you a new creation. He is the one that takes you from what you were to what he wants you to be. And I will make you, Jesus said. He is the one who changes you from what you were to what he wants you to be. He says, I will make you become. Meaning they weren't there instantly. That the minute Peter and Andrew and James and John stepped off of those boats, there was still work to be done. There was still progress to be made. That these disciples needed to be discipled. (laughs) That that Jesus was going, and we see it over the course of three and a half years or so of ministry, that Jesus regularly pours into these guys. And guess what? They often fail. We're going to see James and John bicker about who's going to be more important in the coming kingdom. We're going to see Peter confronted by a small girl in a courtyard and say, no, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. We're going to see Peter so misunderstand the gospel of Jesus that Jesus is actually going to look at him and call him Satan. These are guys that don't have it all figured out the moment they step off of this boat. And so you may be here today and think, I can't contribute to the mission of God because I I haven't figured it out yet. I can't help people become a disciple because I'm not a perfect disciple yet. Guess what? If you're waiting to become a perfect disciple of Jesus until you make disciples, you're going to be waiting until it's too late. You won't be a perfect disciple of Jesus until Jesus makes you perfectly like him in heaven. And at that point, the disciple-making process is over, right? We're no longer about making disciples once we're past this life. The, the, The invitation to follow me and make disciples is a temporal one. It exists now for the church. And so the invitation that Jesus gives to these imperfect men who demonstrate over and over their imperfections is the same one that he offers to you and to I, imperfect. If I needed to be a perfect disciple to week after week stand before you and proclaim the word of God, no one would ever stand in this pulpit. If you had to be, if you had everything perfectly figured out for us to ask you to be a small group leader, we wouldn't have any small groups because we wouldn't have any small group leaders. 
If you needed to be a perfect disciple to lead one of the ministries of our church, there would be no tables set up around our church today promoting ministries because there are no perfect disciples to lead ministry. God's still working on every one of us. It's every one of us who is still becoming. We're not there yet. It's okay. This is what we do. We're disciples that make disciples. Sometimes this stands out to people. As I say this, I'm going to be teaching Connect class after this is all over this morning and after the ministry fair. And I say this in Connect class every week when I'm talking about our mission to make disciples that make disciples. I tell people that people here disciple me that we disciple each other. Every conversation we have, every ministry that we engage in, every meeting that we have, every small group, all of this is, is me contributing to your discipleship, you're contributing to my discipleship, that we're helping each other follow Jesus. We're like, you're the pastor though. You're right, and I still need help to follow Jesus. I am still becoming that which Jesus wants me to be. But notice what we become, fishers of men, this is what Jesus says, and I will make you become fishers of men. Fishers of men is a distinct call to Jesus in Scripture. That Jesus isn't relying on an Old Testament phrase. He's creating something new. Actually, the image, the imagery of the fishermen in the Old Testament is typically a negative one. It is typically tied to the judgment of God against his people. But this is different. Jesus is doing something different. When he looks at these Jewish fishermen and says, come and follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men, Jesus is establishing something new under his new covenant that what we have now is people, disciples, declaring the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel as we help one another better follow Jesus. Now, go back to 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says we're made new. This is who all followers of Jesus are. They're made new. Now, let's look at what all followers of Jesus then do. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Then Paul says, so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, when Jesus changes us, when he makes us new, the old has passed away, the new has come, he gives us a clear mission. Paul calls it the message of reconciliation. Don't get lost in the lingo here though. The message of reconciliation that Paul is talking about is the same invitation that Jesus gives to these fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. I will make you become fishers of men. This is what the church of God does. We are ambassadors for Christ, appealing to one another and appealing to the world, be reconciled to God. This is the mission of the church, and it is all disciples who are called to be a part of this mission. Every one of us. Nobody gets to sit around and say, Pastor, you're the disciple maker. Elders, you're the disciple makers. Small group leaders and ministry team leaders, you're the disciple makers. No, it's for all of us to make disciples and to be made into a disciple. Now, I've used an ongoing analogy here for the last seven years that I've been lead pastor of this church. I started the very first Sunday that I preached here. I was, wasn't even working here yet. 
And I borrowed this analogy. Lots of preachers use it. This isn't new to me. But it was comparing in that first sermon, I was preaching from Ephesians 4 in view of a call here. I was preaching from Ephesians 4. We talked about the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. Now, Navy guys, I know we don't use battleships anymore, but it's what I'm going to call it. Okay, I got corrected. I get corrected every time I do this. Cruise ship and a battleship, right? That people go on a cruise ship to be served. People go on a cruise ship to relax. People go on a cruise ship to have professional people take care of them. You sir, everyone though on a battleship has a role. No, nobody's kicking back and relaxing, right, Navy guys? No, nobody's kicking back and relaxing on deployment, or at least you shouldn't be. Everybody's got a very specific job. Everybody's got a very specific task. And the whole ship is dependent upon every person on there doing their job. I've used that analogy numerous times speaking to this church. And here's what I appreciate about this church. I believe this church gets that. I think in the main, the majority of the people that consider this their home, this this their family, this place, their church understands that it requires all of us to work. That you don't just come here to kick back like you're on a cruise ship, but we view it as a battleship. Can I take it into Jesus's analogy for a minute? You remember Jesus is, the reason he chose fishers of men is because he's talking to fishermen. It's because he was on the sea of Galilee. He was surrounded by fishing villages. There's hundreds of fishing boats out on the water. Picture this with me. Jesus looks at these guys and is like, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men, right? He chooses that because he's talking to fishermen. So let's just think fishing for a minute. We live on the coast. You drive over bridges around here. You see not only people like like on their little boats, you know, fishing. But you see actual fishermen, like people who make their living at it. There's large fishing boats that, that operate here out of Hampton Roads. They, they make TV shows about these fishing boats. Now, I don't necessarily know about here, but TV shows about these fishing boats. Have you ever watched like Deadliest Catch? They're out there catching those king crab and the Bering Sea. Like that, those things are amazing to me. And here's what you know, if you've ever watched one of those things, if you've ever seen one of these things in action, it's, it's the same kind. Nobody's kicking back relaxing. Every single one of them have a job they, can, they are doing so that they can bring in the largest catch possible for the boat. That's their goal. They have a central goal. Let's go catch as many fish as we can. And it's going to require everybody on the boat doing their job to ensure that we can do it. Now, bring it back to this. All disciples are called to be a part of the mission. Nobody gets to just sit and rest. Nobody gets to look at themselves and say, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not a fisher of men. All followers of Jesus are fishers of men. Imperfect though you may be, you are a fisher of man. Imperfect though you may be, you are a disciple who is responsible for making disciples. You may not do it like you used to do it. You may not do it like you one day want to do it, but you are responsible to be a part of the mission. Number three, all disciples are called to be fully committed to the mission. Look at what Simon and Andrew do, verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. That word immediately is going to show up in the next in uh, the next little story too, immediately, meaning they heard this call to follow Jesus and they said, yes, yes, <laughs> I'll be a disciple. Yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I will be a fisher of men, imperfect as they were. Verse 19, and going a little farther, just goes down to the next boat, boat. We don't know. How many did Jesus skip? You ever wonder about that? All these boats lined up. Here's this one. Did Jesus skip one boat, two boats? I don't know. Going down a little further, 
knowing, son of God, authority is represented here. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, we're, the, the call to follow is, is not recorded here, but it, b- because of its proximity to the previous call, we have to imagine that the invitation uh, for the sons of Zebedee, for James and John, was the same call that Jesus gave to Peter and his brother. Immediately, Peter and Andrew follow. Then he goes on to James and John, and immediately they follow. They're obedient. And they're obedient in that moment. They they didn't look around. Notice what they did. They were mending the nets. So we're given a little information about them, which means there's holes in the nets. And James and John didn't say, let me finish sewing this hole. (laughs) They they, they didn't say, "Let let me get these nets ready for my dad and his hired hands to go throw out on the next day. No, they got up and they followed Jesus. They didn't allow their current circumstance to become an excuse for why they couldn't do what Jesus was tasking them with doing. But we do sometimes, don't we? Let's just be honest. Sometimes we look in our lives, we allow the circumstances of our lives to become a reason, an excuse for why we are not participating in the mission of God to make disciples. We do it, and this isn't one category of people. We're all prone to this. Well, my secular job just requires a whole lot of me. And so I I can't engage in what's happening at the church because I'm spending all my time here. I have health reasons. I have health concerns. I have, I've I've gotten older. I used to be able to do a lot in church, but I've I've gotten older. I can't, I can't do, I got young kids. I got teenage kids and all I ever am is a taxi service. Right? Like we, we all have these reasons. I'm not smart enough. I, I can't teach like somebody else. I'm, I, I can't lead like, like somebody else. We, we can all let the, the fishing nets that we're sitting there mending get in the way of immediate obedience to be fully committed to the mission. James and John and Peter and Andrew followed immediately, sacrificing earthly things for the mission. Now look. I'm not asking you to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. You don't ask me to do that and you pay me to be here. I'm not going to ask you to do that as volunteers, as people that aren't paid to be here. None of us are called to, to have an ungodly or unwise, unchristlike balance in our life. Yes, we need you to work secular jobs. Yes, we need you to lead your families well. Yes, we need you to rest as the Bible commands us to do. We also need you to engage in the mission of God. And you've got to work out that balance, recognizing that it demands sacrifice, recognizing that it requires for us to be fully committed to the mission. If we go back to Mark chapter 8 where Jesus says, follow me, right? He says, for anybody who's going to come after me, has to deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. He continues in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what is it a profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when, it comes, when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. What's going to matter in eternity is not how well we did in this life, but if we followed Jesus 
as he called and gifted us to do. Every one of us, follower of Jesus, I'm speaking specifically to members and active people here at Nansman River Baptist Church. Every one of us are called to be engaged in God's mission for our church to make disciples. The question is, how are you engaged in it? That's, that's our point of application. How am I engaged in the mission of making disciples that make disciples? I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm called to participate in the mission. I'm called to be committed to the mission. Maybe I can't do it like I used to be able to do it. Maybe, 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 I, maybe I have other things in my life that, that prevent me to, from doing things that some people do, and that's fine. How are you, though, engaged in that mission? Because every one of us needs to be engaged in the mission because it is not only the mission of a corporate entity, but it's your mission. This is an individual invitation to come engage in the corporate. Jesus looked at individual people and said, come and follow me. And what he did was he then placed them into a body that became, started with 12 and grew to be a worldwide thing with local expressions like this one, with a clear mission. We believe our mission is so clear that we put the Bible verse that it's based on on the wall here. It's Matthew 28. This is known as the Great Commission at the end of Jesus' life. He said, or at the end of his time on earth, he had already died and rose again. He is at the end of his earthly ministry about to go to heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our mission. Make disciples. How long do we do it? We do it until the end of the age. Who empowers us to do it? Jesus does. Who is it for? Every single one of us who claim the name of Christ. So this is why we would do something like a ministry fair after a sermon like this. Because I I meant what I said at the beginning. Every one of these tables represents a ministry that is in one way or another helping us to make disciples. If it's not helping us to make disciples, there's no need for us to do it. Because our mission is to make disciples that make disciples. The point of application, let me connect these things. How am I engaged in the mission of making disciples that make disciples? You may look in your life today and say, "I, I, I need to engage. Maybe you've become withdrawn. Maybe over the last couple of years, because of what's happened in our world, you, you became uh, less involved in some ministries. Maybe you were engage, actively engaged in ministry and, and you became less so. Maybe today's the day that you say, I'm, I'm ready to be back. Maybe you're one of those that have been sitting around making excuses for why you can't engage and say, now I need to. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit, now is the time that I need to. Maybe like several of you out here, you're new. This is a great day to be new, by the way, because sometimes in an organization this large, it can be difficult to know all of the things that we do, but you get to go up to ministry team leaders today and say, how can I do that? How can I go to the Eastern Shore? How can I volunteer in student ministry? How can I help out with preschoolers here? How can I participate in the foot ministry? How can I do these things? And all of these ministry team leaders are going to say, here's how you do it. As we engage together in the mission of God for our church to make disciples that make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you 
that when we repent and believe, you make us new. You don't leave us as we are, as we were, but you make us into something brand new. And with that something brand new comes a call to fish for men. God, would we be about that mission? Would we serve our community and world and one another well as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus to each other and to the world as we make disciples? Show us, God, how you can use us. I pray that you would show individuals in this room how you can use them over the course of the next several minutes. Let us be a church about the mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to respond in song. It's going to give us a moment to to consider the words of the text. And then I'm going to come back and give us instructions about the ministry fair. So would you stand with us and worship together?